be open to somebody. Like I don't have space for anybody right now. Um, and I tried to tell myself it would be like a fun little rebound thing, but that's just not fair to do to anybody and myself. It's, I'm really just cheating myself too if I just try to move on that way. So that's kind of where I'm at, single and not so ready to mingle. It doesn't necessarily always come out at first. It's, it's not like they're, they're clearly this, you know, mess of a person or they're, they're struggling with some issue on the outside. It's, they usually come across as kind of confident and fun and adventurous and outgoing. And then once you get close to them and once you get in, it's like, oh gosh, you're another one. I didn't even know it. It was hidden. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Hey guys, I feel like now is a good time to welcome a special guest. I have with me Jess. Uh, She has powerful message living with a chronic illness. Welcome, Jess. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. In two minutes or less, tell us your story. Okay, so very hard to fit it into two minutes, but I'll do my best. Um, Basically, late 2018, I was diagnosed with multiple tick-borne illness after going about 10 months of trying to figure out why I was so sick and what was going on. Um, I ended up utilizing social media a lot to figure out what was going on with my own health. And then when I was finally diagnosed, I kind of felt the need to give back to all of the people within social media, all of the people who are dealing with not just tick-borne illness, but any chronic illness, because they're very similar in many ways. Um, Give back to them basically by sharing my story. So I started doing that. And it's kind of amazing the community that I formed and found on social media. And then it was May of, oh gosh, 2019, where, so May is my birthday month. And last year I was pretty sick still and didn't really know what to do for my birthday. So I was like, I don't want any presents. I don't want anything to do for my birthday. I just want all of you guys to donate to a foundation that does, um, or that drives donations for tick-borne illness, for research and treatment of tick-borne illness specifically. So that's kind of when I came up with the idea of starting my own fundraiser, where I'm partnered with Global Lyme Alliance. And it's every May, and I plan to do it for the rest of my life, honestly. (laughs) It's all online, so based around social media, drive donations for research and treatment with Global Lyme Alliance is a huge foundation around the world that does things for tick-borne illness. So it's pretty amazing. I also got really lucky, and I'm partnering with a bunch of brands who are helping do some pretty cool product giveaways um, that you will get entered in if you donate to the fundraiser. So it's going to be pretty cool. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And the reason why it's so important to build awareness around it is because it's hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm, correct. Tell us really quickly how somebody can get involved. Basically, the best place to get involved is to follow me on Instagram because that's where I'm going to be posting all of the directions on how to donate how to get entered into the product giveaways and everything. So my Instagram handle is at healing Jess with an underscore at the end. 
Thank you so very much, Jess. You have an upcoming episode on the podcast, and I want people to tune in from now until then so that they can learn more about you on social media, your fundraising attempts through the month of May, as well as going deeper into your story. Thank you so much for letting me share a little bit of my story. I appreciate it. A huge shout out to Jess Wilmorth for sharing her story about battling a chronic illness like multiple tick-borne illnesses. Uh, when I came across her story, I just knew I had to feature her on the podcast. Uh, well, I have you guys here, and before we get into today's episode with the Mile High Mess podcast girls, Katie and Shelby, I just want to update you a little bit on what, about how Shelter in Place is going for me. Yes, it has its ups and downs. We've got our good days and our bad, and thankfully, I'm pouring into a lot of creative endeavors um, that keep me focused on, you know, f- forward thinking, future thinking, but also giving me a sense of gratitude and a sense of hope. But when I do have my hard uh, days, as there have been quite a few in the last six to seven weeks since the gym shut down and since I truly had to pivot in my own life, um, I just want to recommend reaching out to resources like Dr. Kristen Hick and Dr. Brittany Wolford at the Center for Shared Insight here in Denver. They're now doing teletherapy, which has been such a benefit for me to reach out to the professionals that we have on the podcast, the counselors and the therapists. And there are none better than those two doctors of psychology down at the Center of Shared Insight. So if you're not yet following them on Facebook or Instagram, please do so now. And if you're needing somebody to talk with, someone objective, someone compassionate, someone with your best interests in mind, head on over to their website, centerforsharedinsight.com, and schedule a complimentary consultation now. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Katie and Shelby from the Mile High Mess podcast. Hey guys, we are joined by the Mile High Mess podcast ladies, Shelby and Katie. Hello. What is the messiest thing about sheltering in place right now? The lack of toilet paper. Just kidding. <laughs> it could be, but <laughs> it's not. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like uh, we, we took stock of how much toilet paper we had, and we had eight rolls, and I think I'm like, I think I'm good for six months there. Eight rolls? <laughs> well, I guess guys use probably less than half the girls. Oh. I got like a 12 pack when this all first started and I think I still have like six or seven left. So I'm probably good for another month, but ugh. it's yeah. like the new I'm, version of the bank account. Yeah. It's currency. I'm good. It, it did start to get scary there for a second, but I just stocked up on paper towels and coffee filters. And I thought, Hey, you know, what, whatever we got to do, we'll get through it. Right. <laughs> and Shelby always loves a good poop joke. So yep. sure do. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a part of a couple of men's groups and while we talk about toilet paper on these men's groups um, I always recommend just shit right before you take a shower and then you're good if you run out of toilet paper yeah, that's what I'm saying I, I, I've been kind of doing that anyways just to be resourceful because you know I never thought that the world would have a scarcity problem with toilet paper but now that the reality set in you just you have to just play it safe so yeah Right. And the, we've got all this time on our hands. Let's, uh, let's focus on our hygiene for the first time in our lives. Yeah. Please. Shelby? Messiest part? Ooh. Um, well, I think definitely fostering this dog has been a mess. Um, he has a ton of slobber, a lot of hair. He still has his balls, so he's humping and spreading his secretions all over my apartment. 
um, but it's been a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I kind of impulsively just decided to foster this guy and he's big. Um, I mean, do you want to see him? Yeah, definitely take, take the phone and let, let's see the pup, but you have two dogs in your apartment. Well, that's my dog, but this guy, this big Looks like you wore him out today. Yeah, he, they're good. I mean, we went for like um, a 45 minute walk before this and like after that he's great he's so tired but if he doesn't get that exercise whew, it's crazy so it's a lot hey katie what is the messiest thing of sheltering in place for you the messiest thing is probably been man you know to be honest with you i get up and go to work every day so it's, it hasn't really been that different um other than just uh the, the amount of sleep on the weekends and the amount of frozen pizzas i've been consuming but that's <laughs> That's really, that's really the only difference. It's kind of just an excuse to, to be a little bit lazier than the normal, which, you know, I, I don't hate it. No. So you're an essential employee. You actually, you actually go into physical work. Yeah. So I work in a home office. So it's just three of us. Um, but my boss has a, an office out of his living room. So I still get in the car. I still drive there. Um, so it's, it's, it's like a home environment, but it's not my home. So it still feels like I'm, I'm getting up and going every day. Yeah, you maintained a little bit more of a routine than, say, like, moving your entire office to your home and then working from home. Right. That, I think, would drive me crazy. This, this is, is just enough where I, I, it keeps me sane, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big extrovert, and I, I think just waking up alone and working at your desk, I think I would start to go a little cuckoo. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, I'm so grateful for having Sam, the roommate here, that, like... yeah. Otherwise, it would just be me and the dog, and I swear she would get so sick of, of hearing me talk. I bet. Yeah. yeah, I would start talking to myself and, like, having a conversation with myself, and it's like, you know, I do talk to my dog more now than I ever have in my life. Oh, I bet. Like, try yeah. to have conversations with her. Ask her questions. I'm like, hey, where did I put my keys? <laughs> She's just, like, rolling her eyes at you. She literally looks at me like, quit talking. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, I'm sure dogs everywhere, they thought it was great at first. They're kind of like humans. They thought it was really great at first, and now they're, they're all over it, too. Like, yeah. I want my day back. I want my face back. <laughs> Stop talking to me. And they want to be able to go to the dog park without getting yelled at for, like, coming too close to another dog or an another human. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been, have you been walking her much? Or was she, she's pretty, uh, pretty chill though, right? She, she is the laziest lab you've ever met, but uh, yeah. we take our, we take our daily laps around city park and like halfway through she starts dragging behind me and she looks up at me like, again, really? Seriously? Yeah. Okay. So here's the story. Okay, before shelter in place. <clears throat> and so she had the cone of shame on for two weeks. And she uh, lost like 15 pounds. So oh, wow. Her, yeah, her harness wasn't fitting anymore. So the reason she was rag, like lagging behind on these daily walks, well, one, it was daily and she wasn't used to that. But uh, like the harness yeah. was rubbing her, her leg a little bit raw. Oh, and, man. And so like I finally discovered that. And now she's been off of her harness for like three days playing like a puppy. She's so funny. Oh, really? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like, I lost all this weight. I'm, I'm, my injuries heal and I'm good to go. Yeah. Uh, today <laughs> at the park, I still meet up with a client at the park like three or four days a week and we have our social oh. distancing and she just works out with dumbbells and I yell at her from six feet away. 
and uh oh that's cool though uh and the dog was like prancing and jumping and like chloe actually bit my butt really yeah she, she nipped my butt today it was so funny she's turning into a whole new woman with this quarantine definitely so were you guys dating before during what's what's the situation in your lives personally well, <laughs> uh, the last one we, were, we recorded with you i had just broken up with that girl so that um we're still broken up it's been very very hard on this quarantine um i think i finally hit like a rock bottom moment uh like two days ago though and um have decided to go sober for 30 days and just try to get to know myself a little bit better because I'd have my days where I'd be good, then it'd be bad, and then we would talk, and then it would set me back, and you know, that whole roller coaster. I think I'm finally at a point where, like, I don't want to hit that dark, dark spot anymore, and I think um, in order to keep growing, I need to just, like, cut her out of my life, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm not dating, um, although I did meet an interesting young lady uh, during quarantine, like, right before this all started, so I was hanging out with her for a little bit, and she was cool, but my heart's just not in a place to where I can be open to somebody like I don't have space for anybody right now um and I tried to tell myself it would be like a fun little rebound thing but that's just not fair to do to anybody and myself it's, I'm really just cheating myself too if I just try to move on that way so that's kind of where I'm at single and not so ready to mingle you're kind of like uh adhering to this no contact period with the ex um I mean, adhering. I certainly wasn't wasn't at all like I would go a couple days and I'd go batshit crazy um, but I think this last time around really just kind of put me in my spot and made me realize like, why am I doing this to myself? It's not helping. It's hurting. So mm -hmm. heartbreak's a bitch. Yeah. How about you, Katie? What's up? Um, pretty much the same status as last time. Um, I, you know, I have reached out to the ex a couple times, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of like Shelby. It's just, it's a weird time. It's lonely and you know you want to tend to go back to what's comfortable and what's familiar especially because everything's so unknown and scary so I had a little I had a few slip-ups but you know I'm 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 in the same boat I'm single and just kind of taking it one day at a time yeah what do you guys think about reaching out to exes in general well <laughs> we're kind of a unique situation because you know being exes ourselves but I, I think you have to be in the right mindset. Like, I think Shelby's just like what you said. She's not ready. When you're ready, I, I don't, I think there can be a friendship there, but you have to really be ready or you just have to kind of take it for what it is. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have a, a couple different opinions, I guess, on this whole thing. So like, I think that what Katie and I have is extremely, extremely rare in the sense that we've dated and we are just honestly the best of friends. Um, but for an example, before I moved out here, I dated this guy for about a year and then we broke up um, and he had moved to Colorado actually. And then I ended up moving here and it's probably been five years since we dated or so. And I've run into him once since being out here. I was running outside and he like was driving past me and he stops and honks his horn. I'm like, oh my God, some asshole. And he's like, hey, and I'm like, hey. And we have never seen each other since, but we do this like stupid thing. We're like every three or four months, one of us will like respond to something on like the other person's Instagram story and be like, oh, your dog looks cute. And then we'll like make these loose plans to meet up, but we never follow through with it. And so um, we recently talked, we did the whole responding to an Instagram thing, like probably 
a week ago and then like finally made these concrete plans to go hiking tomorrow. And like, as the weeks progressed on and tomorrow's coming, I'm like, I'm not going to go on this hike. Like, Wait, it's tomorrow? Yeah, we were supposed to, but I just told them like, let's just not. Like, there's just, I think that some like people and friends and lovers in your life come and go. And sometimes there's a reason just to not reopen the door. Like, I'm sure we would go on this hike, catch up. It would be great. But like, I just don't really feel like that's the best use of my time right now. Like, I don't want to like scratch any like wounds. Um, I mean, somebody always gets their heart broken, right? Like mine's broken right now. But in this particular relationship that I'm talking about with this guy, I definitely, I know I broke his heart. And like, I don't know where he's at or if he's dating somebody, but I don't want to complicate things. And I think that like, sometimes you just have to let things go. And like, I feel like a lot of times also when you have an ex and you're really inclined to reach out to them, it's because your feelings for them are still romantic and not friendly like I have enough friends I don't need to I don't need to be this guy's friend I mean I have no ill will towards him whatsoever he's great great guy um but like what what's the point I don't know that's kind of where I'm at with it all right now but yeah yeah that's cool it's it's almost like uh this time sheltering in place has brought your priorities to the surface yeah I mean I don't know it's a very strange time in my life in general right now it's definitely not where I thought it would be I think but yeah it's almost like the universe is slapping me in the face and being like stop distracting yourself like you don't need to go meet up with your ex-boyfriend just let that be like you don't need to be texting your ex and trying to get her back let it be like this is the only time in my life where I really have nothing else to do because I'm not working but to get to know myself and see really what I do want and right now I just know I don't have the space for a romantic relationship. So what yeah. about you? How do you feel about reaching out to exes? First of all, like being self-aware of the reasons why you would want to reach out to an ex are so much more important than the actual whether or not you do. And uh, to Katie's point earlier that we return to what's comfortable and we want some comfort and we want the familiar. If that's why we're reaching out, then we need to really be conscious of that. So in yeah. my own commitment to working on myself while I have the time and, and I am making myself a big priority in my life right now, I'm just choosing not to really start anything at all uh, with new or with old. Um, if conversations happen, great. I'm not looking to set things in person. Um, I'm not really looking to set things virtually, as in like uh, virtual dates. I've done it. I enjoyed it. Um, but I just know that everything for me feels like long distance right now. And it's not a, uh, an area where I know I can be successful. Windy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, at least you can acknowledge that. And yeah, I just feel like anybody trying to start something right now is kind of forcing it because it's just, it's not natural. Right. I mean, I guess online dating isn't natural, <laughs> but like even still, at least you can meet somebody in person and pretty much evaluate what you think of them then and there. But yeah, I just think the universe is trying to tell a lot of us something. And for me, I'm finally taking the hint. Mm -hmm. What tools uh, are you using to, um, to dive in and work on yourself, get to know yourself better? Um, well, I started doing yoga, I actually have, um, a person who comes over and trains me. I just started it today and I really have been enjoying that. Um, I've been journaling a lot, which some days I just really don't feel like journaling, but I know that it's helpful. Um, I mean, I got this dog that keeps me busy, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm really good at creating distractions, like even ones that aren't reaching out to my ex or trying to start something new. But if you have any suggestions for tools on how to get to know yourself, Please, I'm all ears. Yeah, you know me. I'm a huge fan of the Enneagram. Uh, yeah. Katie and I were talking about both of us being eights. And as soon as she joins us back again with these technical difficulties, I have some questions for her. But um, that's a tool that I've used for about three years in order to 
understand more about who I am and um, how I show up in this world. Other things are actually like taking our social media detox that we talked about on your episode of the podcast and giving myself a lot more grace there and just taking intentional breaks an hour at a time or two hours at a time away from my phone and picking up a physical book and actually reading through it. That resonate with you as far as like tools for personal uh, growth and discovery? Yeah, definitely. Um, I realized that I was definitely on social media way too much when this whole thing started. And like, I was really trying to focus on our Instagram following and getting that going. But like, I've realized that like, what's more important right now is while doing that, keeping a time limit on it and definitely taking days off because it's such a slippery slope. And it just doesn't, I never feel better about myself or like I've learned something after going on social media. I really don't like, I don't follow politics on social media or anything like that. Um, so I really don't feel like I'm growing or learning when I'm on it. It's just kind of for fun. So like to limit that has definitely been something that I've been focusing on. I also started gardening. So that's exciting. <laughs> I, uh, I'm growing some, uh, some vegetables right now in an egg carton. Um, and then I'm going to transfer them out to a box garden once they grow, but they're growing and it's exciting. Nice. Yeah, that can be very therapeutic and cathartic as well. Yeah. When this all started, I think I was listening to somebody's podcast. I can't remember who, but they said, um, if you come out of this whole isolation and don't have at least one new skill, um, then there's something wrong. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, you know, even if it's something as small as learning how to cook something or how to grow a vegetable, fingers crossed, I don't know if that'll go well, but Mm -hmm. I think that, um, yeah, this is like time that we'll never get back. And if I come out of this still really upset about my ex, not feeling like I've grown or got to know myself or like myself more, I'll really regret it because we will never, ever get this time back ever. So, yeah, yeah nobody's going to win awards for like homeschool parent of the year or anything like that. And I see a lot of the product productivity contests on social media when I do spend time there. So um, I've taken a big step back from like taking on too much to kind of just like hone in on the very, very few things that I'm good at. Um, the new skill that I'm adding to my list is basically just diving into my creativity. So I have two questions. What's a productivity challenge? I have not, I don't think we follow similar content. So you'll have to explain to me what that is. <laughs> Let's say that like um, social media has a, a big source of comparison and it takes away the joy of life when we are comparing ourselves to others well yeah that, that ties directly into what i said i don't feel like i've ever like gotten off social media and felt better about myself like everything's a pissing contest and whose life is more you know productive or who's more creative or who's better at working out yeah it, it's i love social media but i also hate it and i think that I was abusing it at the beginning of this just out of boredom, but now I'm realizing there's so much more I can do. I was actually thinking about like enrolling <laughs> in some sort of a class now that like I'm not drinking for 30 days, I'm going to be super bored. So I was thinking about learning about like government or something, but I don't know. There's a bun bunch of classes online you can take. So we'll see. Yeah. I hear about a lot of free resources out there and I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. So cultivating our current skills is a great mindset to have. Like, Adding one new thing, also a great thing to have, but trying to accomplish like writing your first book or um, I want to finish 10 books in this time frame. It's like almost biting off too much more than we can chew. So why do you think that is? I think it's because of expectations and um, instead of taking the, the time for gratitude of how slowly we are moving and 
um, the pace at which life has slowed down to, we're again, still trying to fill up our time. Yeah, um, 100%. I completely agree with that. And um, I think that was a lot of my problem too. Like I'm just trying to do, 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 do. And instead, I think I just need to kind of sit with this discomfort a little bit every day. Um, I am a believer in making lists um, of what you want to do every day. Um, but just for this, this time, but yeah, it is important to just kind of sit with the discomfort and let it sink in, I think. Mm -hmm. I've been looking into the five stages of grief and when people are like, go, go, go still, even during sheltering in place and they're adding so much, I want to learn the guitar. I want to learn a new language. I want to write my book. That's kind of, uh, kind of sitting in the denial stage, which is the first one of like, oh, this isn't really happening to me. Um, I can still fill my day completely full with all the usual tasks that I always fill my time with, even around a full-time job, you know, and those, those people that are fortunate enough to work from home um, may not have that extra time to keep up with the productivity of other people. Katie's still working full-time and ex having expectations to add another skill on top of basically just making it through each and every day. I think Katie's got the right mindset of just like, you know what, handle business, the task at hand and not take too much on, on our plate. What do you think Shelby? Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, it's interesting to like compare and contrast like what it's like for somebody whose life has only really changed in the sense that they can't go out and be in big groups with people. Um, because Katie is pretty much doing what she always does. Just doesn't have that much. Um, yeah opportunity to do like group and social things I mean you can't go to the bar you can't go to a restaurant you got to be careful when you're out so yeah I mean I think if I was in her shoes I would probably just keep marching along and and if that's the if that's the most that we accomplished today I think that kudos to those people who can um can keep on living um minus their social life are, are you guys extroverts I'd say so yeah is that crushing you not being able to socialize um, well, I've seen a couple of people, but, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, yes and no. Um, because I, I still do talk to my friends every single day, whether it's through FaceTime or text or call or a couple that I see. Um, I think it's more just so like the, like the knowing that it's like knowing what you can't have that drives you a little bit crazy, you know? So, I mean, it's not completely crushing me. It, it, some days it does, some days it does. And I think that that's kind of been the whole roller coaster for a lot of people that I've been talking to about this. It's like, you have your days where you're okay. And then you have your days where you want to rip your hair out and, you know, like when is this going to be over? But, um, yeah. Yeah. What do you do for yourself on the days when you want to rip your hair out? Well, um, exercise, read, foster a dog, call my ex, which I'm not doing anymore. <laughs> Were you dating before, during, or uh, shelter in place? No. So I was. I had just gotten off of off of a breakup. So I, I've been single too. You and Shelby both, huh? Yeah. So thank goodness we have each other too, because um, you know, being you know, we we both live alone. So we we just kind of make sure that we're playing it safe. But we have been seeing each other. I mean that, and probably a handful of other friends. So. We're just trying to ride it out, get right. back to normal. But right. yeah, I mean, I haven't really even thought about that much. I feel like there's just so much other stuff. 
on everybody's plate that it's kind of been the, the least of my worries. And, it, and it's nice to have some alone time too after, after that, so. Uh, <laughs> um, does that make you want to rip out your hair even more? Yes, yes it does. Uh, drink a beer, which I'm not doing anymore. Um, I don't know, just do whatever I can. I'm trying to cook and garden and learn to play the guitar, you know? I mean, I'm one of those people who I don't have a job right now, so I really do need to fill my day. Um, at least it feels that way. Um, but I think like contrary to like what I would do on a regular weekend, if I wasn't going to be super social, I'm not like diving into my phone anymore. I just can't do that anymore. It doesn't make me happy. So. Right. Right. Setting some healthier boundaries around, uh, how much screen time you have. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Shelby, what's the first restaurant? What's the first place you're going to go when they reopen? Ooh, I haven't thought about that yet, but that's a great question. Somewhere with a margarita for sure. Um, definitely a mes- Mexican restaurant with as many of my friends as I can and drink all the margaritas. So, um, mm-hmm. so what this about is a little, you? Uh, shoot the gym. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Well, soul cycles, what I'm most wait, excited I, for. Oh my God. I won't shut up about it. Uh, the jujitsu gym or the regular gym. Those are my first two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely missing that. So the roommate and I get to train jujitsu at the house because we have mats and we have each other who are training partners. Yeah. Um, I've been recording the workout videos every day for 30 days. Nice. Um, that's been keeping me like creative and I absolutely love it. Um, it's probably like the most I've gotten outside of my comfort zone in like recording online workout programs in the five years I've been doing it. Wow. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like have, a, I have like a purpose, a mission and like a plan and a program to write basically. So um. I, uh, have you heard of this app? It's called Aptive. It's like 14 bucks a month and they have like different, it's all audio. It's kind of like Spotify. Like there's no screen, but like they have like guided outdoor runs and like, I just do all these like weird exercises and high knees and look like a lunatic outside. And then they have like some just like really like quick workouts. I don't know. I've been enjoying that because I like to have direction when I work out. It's hard for me to create my own circuits and stick to them. I get distracted, but mm-hmm. um, I've really enjoyed that. I just got that a couple of days ago. So that's been helping. And then cool. um, just doing yoga. Yeah. Just doing my best, man. Doing my best. Uh, right. You want to do me a favor and, and test out our, our 30 day workout program? Yeah, I'll let you test it out. Sounds like uh, sounds like it's something that could be uh, a good fit into your into your world. Yeah, I'll for sure do it. Okay. What's it like? Uh, so, like you were saying, body weight circuit programs that actually have video and my instruction plus you know if it's timed exercise or or reps um, in circuit training type fashion. We got some Tabata in there too. Some what? Some Tabata. What's that? So like. Uh, Tabata was a, a European exercise physiologist, and he designed this program that's like uh, timed exercise for 20 to 30 seconds of work, 10 to 15 seconds of rest, and then you repeat, um, kind of sitting in the same exercise three to six times, and then you move on. So it's a lot of high volume, high intensity. Cool. Yeah, I'll try that. Why okay. Not? I'll shoot you the deets when we're done here. Cool. And I'll post that. I'll post that in the comment uh, below the live too, if anybody else wants to jump on. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And who are you going to go with when you go to this Mexican restaurant? 
I don't care if it's myself. If there's people there, then I'm fine, you know? I'll meet new friends. And I want to hear how messy it was when you guys are done. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That definitely keeps you focused and busy. And you know, it's really nice that we can continue to do the podcast, too. Mm-hmm. So that, that always helps. It's just something to, to break it up and, and, you know, share our experiences. And people find it really relatable, too, because we're all going through the same thing. And it's, it's right. been fun. Right. Yeah, I tune in. I laugh my ass off when I listen to the Mile High Mess podcast. <laughs> oh gosh, we're yeah, we're we are a mess, that's for sure. <laughs> in never a, never a dull moment over here. In every area of our lives, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, I think the world could probably relate to right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things I love so much about it is uh, we're all collectively sharing the same experience. And Mm -hmm. everything that we talk about is relatable right now. And some people would probably say, I want to talk about something else. And that's totally great. I'm, I'm on board too, you know? Right. So like, I wanted to ask you this question. What happens when Enneagram eight tries to date? (laughs) Well, I would say, so we choose the people that need help in some way. Uh, I feel like it, it's not always obvious at first, um, but for me, I always kind of find out later once I'm already sucked in that there's there's usually a, a broken factor there that I, I'm initially attracted to because I want to help fix it. Um, but what it's like to date us as far as like the, the other person's perspective, I, I would probably say it's great. We're, we're caring, we're nurturing. Um, you know, I, I think I think we're usually pretty easygoing. I know for myself, I I have a pretty pleasant demeanor. I'm pretty laid back. It, it takes a lot to for me to lose my patience and to really get riled up. I'm pretty fair mm-hmm. and just kind of accommodating. Would would you would you agree with that? Well, it sounds like you're describing the helper personality type, the type two on the enneagram, which is where the eight goes to when they're healthy. Would you, oh. would you describe yourself as a, a healthy or integrated type eight? I would say so for the yeah. most part. Um, unless, you know, something happens that causes me to, to not be in a good place. But uh, yeah, I think when I'm in a good headspace and I'm ready and, um, you know, feeling good within myself and, and life is going well, I, I would definitely describe it as that. Mm-hmm. And one of those key components that I've learned about myself um, we get along so well cause we're eights and we're, <laughs> but when we are healthy and integrated, we champion for the little guy. And that's probably yeah. why you gravitate to somebody who's broken that you could possibly fix in a relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily always come out at first. It's, it's not like they're, they're clearly this, you know, mess of a person or they're, they're struggling with some issue on the outside. It's, they usually come across as kind of confident and fun and adventurous and outgoing. And then once you get close to them and once you get in, it's like, Oh gosh, you're another one. I didn't even know what it was hidden or, you know, it's, it's not glaringly obvious. Um, that's from my experience at least. Yeah. So like once you get to know somebody, then you start to discover the skeletons in their closet. Right. Or that, you know, it's almost like, Oh, that's why, that's why I liked you because you, you do have this other side of you that's kind of um, 
like you said, the underdog, almost a little bit damaged. And it almost, I think it makes people kind of humble. I, I, I think I'm attracted to people that are confident, but I have like a, an inner humbleness, humility about themselves. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes from just either struggles in their life or, or childhood trauma or just going based on my experiences. Um, yeah, and I've, I've kind of, I do definitely see a pattern in my dating life. I, I actually talk about it a lot with my friends. Like, I, how do I break this cycle? Because it is a hidden, kind of a hidden thing. You know, people don't walk around with signs on themselves or that, you know, I have childhood trauma or I, you know, am broken in this way or I have this inner demon that only comes out after you know me for six months. <laughs> Well, I think I think that's really common across the board, not not necessarily exclusive to um, who's attracted to an Enneagram eight. But um, but if we're speaking to it specifically, somebody who has a history of trauma, who is a little broken, can rely on the strength of the Enneagram eight because we are so formidable. Mm -hmm. And they like gravitate to that confidence and that strength like we're a pillar in their life. And that's why it's so symbolic. Yeah. And it's weird too, because I've noticed even talking to them about their exes, we, they all seem to have, they all seem to gravitate towards the eight because they find the stability and the um, kind of willingness to, to help and put up with their, their crap. They they find that attractive, I'm sure. Just like Mm -hmm. you said. Yeah. Like it's a safe and a secure place to live, to be in partnership. Yeah. Somewhere from like two or three months into that six month in period, um, the eight begins to like kind of decipher or start to understand more about their partner. And then we come into this like almost like we expected them to manipulate or betray or control us in some way. And that's when those true colors come out. And that's when we start to see um, the other side of the person. And then we distance ourselves. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. Shelby, you got to take the Enneagram for me. Okay, well. So it's so funny that Katie and I are both eights, but like when an, when an Enneagram eight tries to date, they run into some very unique challenges um, on making a first impression. So Shelby, what's the worst first impression you've gotten from a date? From a date? Yeah, like they showed oh. up in this way or they told you that you showed up in that way. Like you mean first impression just like after the date or like the first thing you saw about them? You're you're driving home from the date and you're kind of like summarizing what happened and you're kind of evaluating if this is like, hey, do I want to see this person again? Tell me your worst first impression. Oh, God. Um, I would say this guy, we went to a restaurant. He like um, took my hand and prayed with me before we ate the food. Really, on a first date? Yes. And what was uh, what was your what were your thoughts afterwards? Um, that it was like presumptuous that I would be open to that, and that I mean, obviously, religion was very important to this person, which I can respect that. But first impression was just we're not a match. Mm-hmm. I get that. I totally get that. That like um, comfort level with displaying um, prayer in in public. Yeah. That's uh, something that uh, a couple would need to talk about. Definitely. And I, um, yeah, she said that she believes you're an enthusiast, which is fun. A lot of fun. What number is that? That's the seven. Okay. So 
uh, let me let me see if this resonates with you. Um, do you have FOMO, fear of missing out? Yeah, big time. Big time. Like, does that drive some decision making for you? Absolutely. So, like this time frame where we're sheltering in place, you've got a lot of FOMO going on about that Mexican restaurant for one, the gym second. Well, no, because it's not going on. I'm not missing out on anything because it's not happening. So this is actually a blessing. Like I have zero FOMO for the first time in my life because I know nobody's doing anything more fun than what I'm doing. Oh, that's so well said. And like, um, actually, that's a really astute uh, observation of yourself uh, coming from the, from the lens of the Enneagram. Yeah. I wouldn't have considered that, you know, um, I'm an, I'm an eight, so I'm right next to you on the Enneagram and my wing is a seven. So it basically sums it up as like, I'm enthusiastic about challenging other people. I can see that, especially with what you're uh, just telling us about your workout program. So. Yep. Super enthusiastic about um, my career. That's probably why I gravitated towards personal training and facilitating the podcast. I come across a bit challenging as well, you know? Like asking those questions of like, I really want to know the answer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So more about the Enneagram 7. Like, whew, how does FOMO show up in dating? Oh, badly. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, I have a lot of FOMO with dating, I guess. Um, always thinking that, that maybe there's somebody better out there for me. But then in times where I haven't really thought of that, I would, you know, instead of just having like a nice night in, I'd be like, well, we should go out with my friends because then I can be with you and my friends at the same time. And I don't want to miss anything. And I'm just always trying to do all of the things. So it definitely has showed itself in a bunch of different ways while dating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do your partners respond when you ask for that? Um, well, I mean, not, not positively when I have a wandering eye or, you know, I'm, I'm acting distant and then like a little bit annoyed when I can't just stick to a plan. I always have to be on board with my friends or, you know, doing everything all at once. So I think it's probably really annoying to have to date me sometimes. <laughs> You're not alone there. It's, it's really challenging to date me too. Yeah. So um, what does it take for your partner to show up and keep your eye on them as the prize? Um, I think that it's somebody who's really independent and doesn't necessarily like need me and somebody who um this is so cliche but somebody who challenges me somebody who has a bunch of different interests as well and somebody who's adventurous and wants to try new things and go to new places and be outside definitely not a homebody um somebody that i can learn from mm -hmm. keeps me keeps me interested so right always always like on to the next adventure on to the next activity definitely mm-hmm having a wing of the seven next to the challenger gives me some FOMO also. Uh, but, you know, we can dive a little bit deeper into our personality types um, with what's called subtypes. But if I'm a sexual eight, I value most one-on-one -on -one connection. And the FOMO that I experience through the Enneagram lens is missing out on that one-on-one -on -one connection. And that's huge for me. Does that resonate? Um, so what do you mean by missing out? Like you, you think you could be having a better one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody else or so, yeah. What do you mean? No, I mean, actually like, um, because 
I'm seeking out one-on-one connection with one person. It's like, I, I crave more of that when it actually happens in a good connection, like where we have mutual interests and um, some chemistry as well. So I almost like get through my extrovert, through my challenger, through my wing of a enthusiast and the sexual subtype, I crave more of that quality one-on-one time. Gotcha. So your fear is that you're not getting enough of it and you're missing out because you want more and more and more. Yeah, definitely. And the more I've grown, the more I've become self-aware through attachment theory as well is understanding that that language right there would represent like more of an anxious attachment style. Yeah. Which I don't have a history of. Um, I'm more of an avoidant attachment style um, in my history, but uh, it swings back and forth in relationship to the partnership that I choose. Interesting. I also have been a victim of the, the push and pull. So like I go, I, I kind of back away and then they pull me back in and it, it's like this, this cycle trap type thing. <laughs> and I, I also think, um, speaking from my experience and I'll get real personal here. I, I was engaged at uh, 24 to a guy that was a college athlete, um, six, four, really confident, um, you know, good looking guy, had a lot of friends. It seemed, you know, very well adjusted and like he had his shit together. And I think like our first or second date, he starts opening up to me and gets really vulnerable about how hard his dad was on him and how his dad was abusive. And I think he, I think he even started to cry a little bit to me. And um, I think too, that's probably another trait is that people open up to us really easily because we are good listeners and we're, we're compassionate empaths. And I remember after he broke down to me and, and told me all that stuff, I liked him more. Like, what is wrong with me? It made me like him more that the vulnerability and the, the fact that he, you know, was kind of a hurt little boy inside this big bravado. There was something attractive to me about that. Mm-hmm. The so, underdog. So I'm not, the, yeah. the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. The little guy. Like I didn't even run away. A lot of people would just run away from that. Oh no. I dove right in. <laughs> I said, Oh, and then he ended up cheating on me and terrible breakup. So it's like, I, you know, I, I tried to be, I tried to help the underdog, but I, I kind of got bit in the ass on that one. Mm-hmm. That's, that's definitely right. And when we are at our best, when we are healthy, that's when people almost feel like this safe place to open up and share, you know, because of our strength, because of our, our solidarity, and also because of that integration towards the helper, we create this space of safety and people really do start to open up and become vulnerable around us because we're such rocks. Right. Yeah. I, I noticed that a lot too. That's a quality that a lot of people observe about me. Even people that don't know me well, it's like, how did I, how did you, how did you get, just get that information? <laughs> you know? Um, but what, what are some of the things that we do when in an unhealthy, I just, I'm curious to see if any of that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've been there. So it's been a, it's been a very interesting six months for me. Okay, let's, let's just go even back further. It's been a very interesting three years for me. So when, uh, when a challenger is disintegrated or unhealthy, um, we start to move more towards the investigator personality type. And this is where mm-hmm. our ego catches up to us every single time. And what we begin to, our tendency is to begin to seek out the truth to confirm our biases. 
Okay. So if you start to believe that um, your ego is starting to tell you that your partner is cheating on you, we will go to the right. ends of the earth to find out the truth. And what's the worst yeah. part about that is that we stay in a bad relationship like that until we find out the truth and then we leave. Gotcha. And that's where the fixer part comes in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it actually does make a lot of sense. So like, the, are those the, the type of people that will go through the phone and snoop around the email and, you know, question every little thing, the investigator? Uh, <laughs> no, um, because our greatest fear is to be controlled, manipulated, or possessed. So we actually, this is a unique um, ability of the challenger, but it's not in a great place. Remember that we're not healthy at this point. So like, right. if we have suspicion and we're seeking out the truth, we will poignantly, directly ask our partner, what's up? Like, we don't need to go through their phone because we're strong enough to oh, handle, the, to handle the, the truth in return, because that's what we've been seeking all along. Interesting. And, uh, and I've seen that come up. Uh, a lot. Let's let's just use the podcast for example. And this mm -hmm. is something that I've been uh, wrestling with for the last two years of actually like pouring into hosting the podcast is like, yeah. well, the, the way that I set up the podcast is I go out and I interview experts and I seek out experts who know more than I do. So I'm literally like seeking the truth through oh. the podcast okay. to find out what the fuck's yeah. going on in my relationships. That is interesting. I would never even like really think about it that way. But I mean, is that a really a bad thing though? That's actually I mean, the question that I ask myself is like, is it actually yeah. a bad thing? Because I've, I've almost like um, taken an, taking outside eyes on my own experience here. Right. Because I'm doing such great work by speaking to people who are better at relationships or more knowledgeable about relationships than I am, which in mm -hmm. turn is doing me a great service uh, for yeah. myself and then therefore for my future relationship too. So in, in that yeah. context, no, I'm doing a great thing for me and our community. But from an Enneagram standpoint, through the lens of the Enneagram, I need to take a look at my ego every single time that I record a podcast episode and say, Dave, what's your purpose yeah. for doing this? Huh. Is it? Is yeah, it I feel like that seems like a healthy way to, a kind of a healthy way to fulfill that, that, that need. But, I don't know. And I appreciate you saying that. That makes me feel really good. And, and here's why, is because the Enneagram is not so much like an end-all, be-all. It's simply just a path to authenticity. And what it allows right. us to do is, uh, we're not put into a box with it. What it allows us to do is it actually allows us to remove the mask of our personality type and ask mm -hmm. ourselves that question. Okay, why was it my choice to set up a podcast in an interview type way where I sought out experts? Was that to right. prove my ego correct in an investigator type way? Or was it to grow personally, vulnerably, authentically, transparently, and that's the Enneagram as a tool is to help 
me in that situation remove my mask, which is my personality. Right. Interesting. The human mind. <laughs> We're all weirdos. <laughs> we are. So did any of that stand out at you as a, as an Enneagram 8? I, I think so. I'm trying to, th- I was kind of thinking as you were speaking, um, I, I, I can, I can understand that. I don't know. I can't think of a real specific example about something that I, I've done or, I mean, I probably do stuff subconsciously all the time though, without even realizing it. I mean, if we really looked at it and dissect my patterns, uh, I'm sure it's, it's there, but I don't really have a, a glaring example, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of your former jobs was a corporate trainer, right? Yes. So if we look at your corporate trainer uh, behavior or tendencies through the lens of the Enneagram, the challenge is also known as the leader. And a corporate trainer is very knowledgeable, so they had to investigate a lot of information in order to lead others Mm -hmm on their path to success in a corporate setting. Right. So can you think of a time in your corporate life or in your business life where uh, maybe you got upset at the attendance of the corporate training or when somebody's late or when they're not paying attention or uh, when they try to um, become the leader in the room, even though it's your room? Yeah. As far as like trying to seek out the truth? Uh, Not just in that one dimension, but uh, let's say you're giving like a corporate training to your your team and there's 10 or 15 people. 15 people are supposed to show up. 10 actually do. And what what is your opinion of the five that don't show up? Like they're disrespecting me almost? Yeah, definitely. It definitely feels personal. Uh Um, I think too, with corporate training, uh, one of the the tactics that we used a lot, you know, is the self-discovery. So to really try to get somebody to agree with you, which is a, it's an art form in itself, but you know, using lines. So I did sales training. So somebody would think they'd get off the phone and think they had a great sales call. But in my mind, I'm thinking that was terrible. So then I would have to try to just question them to to be able to agree with me in some sort of way so i i don't know if 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 that is related at all but Mm -hmm. absolutely uh the investigator portion of our personality type comes into us and our personality type like the know-it-all or i'm gonna prove myself right in this situation yeah which comes up in relationships all the time well, who's going to win the fight? You know, if conflict arises, who's going to win the fight? Right. Does it, does it have to be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And even when it's not, sometimes I'll tell myself, like, I'm going to let this one go because you pick your battles. But, like, in my mind, I'm still like, but I was right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I'll let it slide just because I – it's a weird dynamic because I hate confrontation, but I do want to be right and I do want to prove my point. But so sometimes I'll just, I'll just kind of eat it, mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's go, let's go back just a little bit. Um, maybe this will have something to do with the Enneagram. Maybe it won't, but you're engaged to a guy. And, and was this before you were starting to explore other sexuality or interests yeah. in your life? Yeah. Way before. Mm-hmm. Way before. Yeah. 
did one have to do with the other? Like this really hard breakup? Um, you know, no, it, w- it was pretty years apart. So I was 24 when the engagement broke. And um, I dated men until I was about 30 uh, when Shelby and I met. And I didn't even really think about it. To me, it just wasn't even, it just never, it never crossed my mind until, um, you know, her and I met and, and started ex- exploring in our relationship. And then after that, I really started to, to dig deep and, and think about like, what, what was that? You know, cause, cause people would say, oh, that's just a phase or, you know, you just haven't had any luck with men. And, and the reality is like, no, I did have luck with men. I just, I just didn't connect as much. So maybe, you know, I'll, I'll open it up. And then I realized the kind of person I am, it's not about the package. It's about what's inside the package. And, you know, it, I think just as much as being superficial or only dating people that are, you know, attractive on a certain level or, you know, it's just, for me, it's, it's more of like the, the soul connection, but I I definitely did a lot of reflection, reflecting after that experience. And now I, I just, you know, I I think the person will come to me in whatever shape or form or, or package. And it's, it's not really about, past experiences, which, you know, a lot of people did question that. Um, but no, I, I don't think that's what it was. I think I just, after I turned 30, I was more comfortable and confident and not afraid to explore, um, untapped territory. And, you know, I just was kind of like, why not try it? You know, I, I've been kind of putting myself in this box, I think just because of the expectations that I thought I was supposed to follow. So I think it was more of just like a growing up and a maturity thing and just being confident within myself to make decisions based on how I feel and like what's inside my heart and what feels right rather than what, what I've been told my whole life by when I went to Catholic school and I grew up in, um, in the Midwest and, you know, up middle class, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just a different, different upbringing and different values and different expectations. So I, I came out here you know, I turned 30 away from all my family and, and my conservative friends. And I, I just, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was very freeing. It sounds like it's more about who the person is as opposed to what gender they are. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, I could, I, I, I could fall in love with either one. I, I truly believe that if we have a great connection, mm-hmm. um, I think you could learn to love, love any, anybody, you know, I always use the analogy when you see like a, a beautiful man or woman with a partner that's like, you know, if you see like a 10 with a one, everybody's like, how, how, do, how do you end up with that? Like, oh my gosh, like how, uh, and it's almost like if, if, if you can fall in love with somebody that's, you know, so much less attractive or, or somebody that most people would think was like not attractive, why couldn't you fall in love with, you know? Uh, the other gender that's that's kind of how I feel about it but sure there's it's all like like everything it's a spectrum and it's like I I also compare it to politics there's the real crazy right wings and the real crazy left wings and and you know with sexuality it's like I'm I'm very much into you know this this sex and I'm very much into this one and then there's people that you know kind of fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum so Mm -hmm. that's that's also how I would I would describe that So what I heard in there is that there was a time period of growth from 24 to 30. And at which point, right around 30, 
um, you started to become a little bit more comfortable with not, well, not comfortable per se, but just like, you know what? I don't care what people think of the expectation of society. And I'm able to stand up mm -hmm. for myself at that time. And actually why I'm asking is because you said you're not comfortable with conflict earlier, but I could imagine yeah. that the conversations that come up um, when people ask you to explain yourself and you don't want to, cause you don't have to, then yeah. at 30, you're much more comfortable with that kind of conflict because you own the decision. Right. right. Well, and I think I've also come to a place where I can articulate it so that people do understand. Um, I think my family is a little bit unique cause I, I'm a triplet and one of my triplet brothers is actually gay. He's a gay man. And so my, my family was very confused because he kind of spent his whole, when he came out, he spent his whole life explaining that like, this isn't a choice. I was born this way. And I felt this way since I was, you know, in the second grade and he has all these examples and he kind of fought to get um, the like acceptance and, and that this, this wasn't a choice and he was this way. And, that, and then I come, come on over at 30 and my family's like, that makes no sense because it, you're born that way. And if you were born that way, why all of a sudden at 30, you know, you're in a relationship with a woman, it makes no sense. So they didn't understand it at all. So I, I really had to take the time to be able to explain it and articulate it in a way that made sense to them. Because with my brother, it's just so cut and dry. And, you know, they've accepted that over the years. But then I think with me, they were like, I think it put an extra kind of, um, an extra layer to, to my situation just because of him and they compared it to him a lot and you know, it's not really comparable. It's, it's a different situation. So learning to be able to articulate it in a way that people understand. I, I, I mean, I, I think I, I, I don't know. I think they probably still don't understand, but at least I feel more comfortable about the way I would approach it. Yeah. Because it's your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, you know, if they, they, they love me and they'll, they accept me either way, I, I think they, th th I'm sure they have all sorts of different thoughts and opinions, but again, it's, I, I'm kind of to the point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm just worried about me and be, be happy and living the life that I want to live. So mm -hmm. you can choose to love me and accept me or not, but you're, you know, you're lost if you don't. Yeah, I, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that to my core. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So that yeah. brings me to another question. Um, do you think love is a choice or a feeling? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, or, or can it be both? I was going to say, I was going to say, could it be both? But I think I would almost say it's more of a feeling. I, I think we choose to wake up every morning and love, love our partners or love our, our friends and our family. But I also think, that when you feel, you definitely feel love. So I, I think it's a feeling, but you have to also continue to choose to have your thoughts because your thoughts control your feelings. So if you, if, if you think that you love somebody, you're going to feel love to them. So they're definitely interconnected and related, I would say. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. That was an awesome answer. But when this conversation <laughs> comes up, I like to, I like to stir the pot as an Enneagram eight. That's like my thing. I, I want to stir the pot. And when this conversation comes up, I ask the question of, okay, well, when you break up, 
the feeling of love is still there, the choice comes into play of like how far away do you love them from? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I mean, for me, breakups are really hard for me because I do, I get, you know, attached and I'm I'm a sentimental person and I, I tend to, you know, just harp on all the things that I'm missing out. And, you know, I, I have my pros and cons list, but for some reason my brain always goes to the pros when I, and I have to train it to go to the cons. So it's almost like a, you consciously have to think yourself out of love. And, and to me, I catch myself like missing things or, or having memories or feeling lonely. And I, I have to just kind of stop myself and think like, no, all these were all the things that were bad in the relationship. And these are all the things that you don't have to deal with anymore. And these are all the things that you can look forward to in a different partner that this partner didn't have. So again, I, I definitely think that it starts with the thought and then the feeling comes from the thoughts. Mm-hmm. Cause we can't play the highlight reel of what the relationship was. Otherwise we're going to go absolutely stir crazy through the breakup and the grieving process. So yeah, what I do- just be sad all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. For the loss. You won't be able to move on. <laughs> yeah. And I like to remind myself just like you, not so much like going to the cons list, but kind of reframing that highlight reel into um, moments or things to be grateful for from the relationship. And I'm grateful for this um, because it's important to me for this reason. And as a result, I can move forward into the next partnership that much better off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a good way. I I try to have gratitude too, but I think for me, gratitude comes later after I can be angry at them. And then I feel not like not attached and then once that grieving period is over, then I can look back and say, well, you know, that year and a half wasn't a total waste. I, I, I grew this way. I learned this lesson. And, but I think I'm a little slower to get to the gratitude part. I kind of have to, to, to get rid of the love first. Mm-hmm. And then I can come back and, and look at it objectively and, and be grateful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been talking a lot through the um, shelter in place experience about uh, the five stages of grief. And you're talking about it like to a T it's, it's explained, um, through the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance stages. And when it takes us, you and I a lot longer to get to acceptance phase because of that betrayal that we experience in a breakup. And it's totally blown out of proportion in comparison to the other Enneagram type numbers. Right. We hold on to it a lot longer than the other types and our life. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I, I was wondering if that was just like me or if, uh, so that's, that's not, that's normal for us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now here's <laughs> the trick. Since we're talking about attachment styles, a uh, picture an Enneagram eight who has a really hard time letting go because of betrayal and through the stages of grief. And then you put an either anxious attachment style on top of that where they attach quickly and strongly and like that person is their whole world. Now you put those two things together and you have an extreme version of it. Yeah. And that might be the stuff that goes through your phone. (laughs) (laughs) I know that does not sound like a fun breakup. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I'm just like, if you guys are out there and you're in a relationship with an anxiously attached Enneagram eight, don't ever break up with them. 
Yeah, you're just, they're, you're doomed. They're, they're super intense <laughs> about chasing you, I promise. <laughs> so what, um, what, what is the difference between avoidant and anxious attachment? So oftentimes, this is a really good question, and I love talking about attachment theory as much as I talk about Enneagram work. Lay it on me. So an avoidant is, um, quote unquote, commitment phobic. They're afraid of commitment. Um, they love their independent time, their space. Um, the challenging part is that an avoidant will attract an anxious attachment style. And then the anxious attachment style shows up a little bit more needy, um, a little bit more clingy. These are some stereotypes that come along with the anxious attachment. But if our avoidant sits here and our anxious sits here and secures in the middle, and the avoidant wants space, and they want more space, but they're attracting an anxious. It's this chase. It's the push and the pull between the yep. two polar opposites. Gotcha. And what does that do to the avoidant if the anxious starts chasing? Drives them away, of course. And this is why the podcast has a strong foundation in both the Enneagram and attachment theory is because it makes sense to me that that would actually occur. Yeah, totally. I mean... Cool. I think I think that clinginess gets a bad rap or neediness gets a bad rap in modern day dating because, I mean, fuck, we all have needs. It's how we communicate them and how we actually get them met is the difference maker between success and, and challenging situations in a relationship. Yes, I completely agree with you. And that's something that I've learned a lot this year. So are you familiar with attachment theory? No, but now I am. Mm hmm. So if you guys are tuning in, um, this is a great resource for you too, Shelby, is a book called Attached by Amir Levine. And it goes deep into the, the four basic attachment styles. But uh, the more research that's done, the more they're discovering there's more like six attachment styles. So what are the other besides for avoidant and anxious? Uh, so we have secure. And thankfully, 50% of the population is secure. Uh, 20... 20% is anxious, 25% is avoidant, but then there's 5% that's disorganized. And that's more like your sociopath, your psychopath, and your narcissist. Ooh, this sounds interesting. Mm, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, man. That's giving me anxiety just thinking about it. So um, the additional uh, subtypes that are more like a combination of the two that I resonate with, more like fearful avoidant, where if you're following us on Instagram, you'll see this, this reference to a pendulum swing for me, um, where if I'm alone right now, I'm fairly secure in my attachment style. Uh, but if I come into a new relationship or a new dating experience and they have an attachment style, uh, my polarity will swing back and forth like a pendulum in response to theirs. And it, mine will actually like swing outside of secure towards avoidant and towards anxious, back and forth, back and forth. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely have to read that. Can you send that to me after this? I want to uh, order that book. Sounds good. Sure. Yeah, I'll put, the, I'll put the link to Purchase Attached in the comments below this Facebook Live, and I'm, I'm going to put it in the show notes of the podcast episode too. Wonderful. From our conversation so far, it, it sounds to me like you're an avoidant attachment style. Does that sound about right? Um, explain that one again a little bit. Um, say like you're meeting somebody for the first time and we've been talking about this quite a bit today. So it, it's going to tie it in. 
an avoidant attachment style will go out on a date, maybe three or four dates, and they'll say to themselves or to their friends, I like them, but they're always going to find that reason not to commit or not to go to another level deeper, um, mm. uh, which is very, very similar to an Enneagram 8 who has a really hard time with vulnerability and letting people in. We're known as like the Mack truck full of marshmallows. So we have a hard <laughs> exterior and a soft interior, but the interior yeah. is only meant for like our inner circle. Right. You yeah, I've, I've, had a, I've had a lot of exes tell me that, you know, you, you, you're fun and bubbly, but you're not, you know, I feel like I, you didn't really give me all of yourself holding mm -hmm. back or, or kind of having like a, being a little bit guarded. Definitely, mm -hmm. definitely heard that. So mm -hmm. sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would explore into the avoidant attachment style, which is where I spent mm -hmm. sh shit 20 years of my life as an avoidant attachment style. Um, dating, dating women that I didn't necessarily, I was ambivalent about whether or not they stayed. Yeah. And that's a hard yeah. reality to face if you uncover that that's one of your patterns. Right. it was it was rough yeah i i definitely should probably look more into that before i dive into something new yeah let's talk about that really uh you were saying that like mm -hmm. a breakup is really hard for you and i can understand that because letting go is hard for us as eights but that would also yeah. lend to a benefit of a of a cooling off period after a relationship like you break up and do you need time to heal before you get into a new relationship um, I feel like I've done kind of my healing already. I mean, I, I know I obviously have worked, we all have work to do, but I do feel like I've had those points in my life where I have taken the time to be alone and I've worked on myself during those times. And I honestly feel like I'm ready. Once, once I get over the person, I think it is good to take some time and reflect on the relationship. Like what we were saying is what, what did you learn from that relationship? What about that part? What about yourself made you choose a partner like that that didn't work out? Or what, in my case, you know, was controlling and manipulative? Like, why am I drawn to, to that? So I think it's always good to have the self-reflection and then the gratitude. And, but I, I think if you meet somebody, I don't, I don't think you should really put rules or boundaries on it. Um, unless, you know, you do have a lot of work to do. But I feel like in between all the relationships I've kind of done done the work to a certain degree um but I, i'm i'm not the kind of person that says like wait six months because if somebody comes into your life at month three and they're great you know i just think that's kind of you're kind of maybe missing out or, or selling yourself short a little bit mm -hmm. that there is no perfect timing and there is no window that's standard for anybody to get over a relationship because we all progress through right. uh, stages of grief differently. Right. Well, and the reality is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be 90 before I figure out myself and I, you know, I'm perfect. Like <laughs> what, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Let's, you know, I think a good partner, you should learn, learn together. But if I, if I sit around and wait and I could read every self-help book and, you know, every study, the Enneagram and, and, you know, learn about myself to the point where, you know, to what, to what degree or, you know, how many years is that going to take or how many lifetimes is that going to take? Mm -hmm. So I think just being realistic about that 
and just I'm not I'm not a big fan of rules you know and people people especially women that we read all those books like why men marry bitches and the rules and um what what was what's the the latest one that that I've been hearing about um something how to get to I do or something and they have all these rules and I, I mean I, I can name a million couples that break every single one of those rules that are and they're great couples with you know great relationships and I just I'm not a big fan of rules what what other rules rub you the wrong way um well I mean so not that I advocate for it but you know people that say you shouldn't sleep with somebody on the first date well one of the best couples that I know met on a one night stand. So it's like any, anything could contradict any rule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's probably not the best foot to start off on, but if you do, is it going to ruin all your chances at having a good relationship with that person? Absolutely not. Or, you know, moving in together too soon. Again, you could, you could have examples where it ends in disaster and you could also have examples where it's, it's beautiful. So I just, I don't really believe in any of the rules. I, th I think just do what you feel is right and just go with the flow. And when you put too many boundaries and expectations on it, I think rules can kind of get in, get in the way and, and mess with us a little bit and cause sometimes more harm than, than good. Mm -hmm. uh, some boundaries are meant to keep people at a distance and that's more like putting up a wall. Um, right. Healthy boundaries that we talk about on our podcast is more like it shows people where the door is to enter your world and your life. Like, yeah. um, I totally agree with you that there's no perfect timeline for uh, sleeping with somebody or moving in with them. And I almost guarantee you, we could have books worth of research right now because of what yeah. sheltering in place spurred people to talk about. Like, hey, we've only yeah. been seeing each other a month. How do you wanna see each other while we're sheltering in place? Right. Do we move in together? Or do we try this roommate thing? Do we test the waters right. and see if we can make a relationship out of it? Or right. we not see each other for an undetermined amount of time. Right. And that's why I love this. That's why I love this period of time in our, in our lives right now is because it creates the conversation for us and people can no longer be avoidant or yeah. ambivalent. And then the anxious person actually has to understand the boundaries that are placed around health. Sure. Like an anxious person cannot just push their like, we're gonna air quotes here, neediness for sheltering in place with a new partner. They can't push that. Right. Because they know consciously what's gonna happen. Right. Whereas if it's like no quarantine, no shelter in place at all, and an anxious person meets an, uh, their partner and they have this like intense desire to move in with them too soon, yeah. Well, then they can, I'm not going to say they always, they can have a tendency to push that boundary in an unhealthy way. Right. No, and that makes people, a lot of sense. Yeah. It will be, it will be interesting to kind of, after all this is over to, to have experts dissect it and, and certain, I think interesting conversations will come out of it. Just like you said. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. Um, one of my yeah. favorite memes that I've seen during this time period is I've got to stop flirting. I've got 87 dates set up after this. <laughs> no kidding. I'm going to be spending the next, the next year. On first you, dates um, only. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I haven't even, to be honest with you, I, I haven't even gotten on the apps or anything like that. I just, I'm just trying to ride it out and, and you know, it's, it's a really good time to focus on you. Been reading some, some books and um, just reflecting on, you know, my last relationship, my last couple relationships. And I think it, it's kind of a good time to just date yourself for a little while. Maybe, you know, that's the universe telling us we should all just be dating ourselves and maybe that'll send a lot less crazy people out there into the dating world. So, it, you know, it's a good thing overall, but I, loneliness is also, you know, not, not a fun thing to go through, but lean on your friends and family. I, I've, I, I feel like I'm closer to my family now. I'm the only one out here in Colorado. Um, all my family's back, back East, but uh, I feel like I'm kind of closer to them than ever because, you know, I am single and I, I have friends here, but it's a, it's a good time to just reconnect with family and reconnect with yourself. Yep. Every, everything that you just went through um, about your excitement to see what happens afterwards and your intentionality to focus on yourself and grow and learn during this time period, reading books is great. And I've come across loneliness a little bit and yeah. I've, I've reframed it into a position of solitude. And right. sol solitude has this really mind-expanding opportunity because we have time alone with our thoughts. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reading Digital Minimalism right now so that I stay off of my phone and I do encourage myself to spend time with myself, for myself, by myself. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, especially for me, I'm, I'm like, I always have to have music on or a podcast. Or I, I'm never just in the quiet. It's, it's always, even when I'm home, you know, or I'm cooking and there's a podcast on or there's music on or the TV's on in the background, like that, that's a big thing that I struggle with a lot. Mm -hmm. Just being, being in the quiet. Even if I go for a walk, I have to put headphones in. I, you know, at the gym, it's like, I, I don't, I don't think I do anything in silence. Right. For an hour. An hour. Mm -hmm. I think I lose my, lose my marbles. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, that is something that I, I definitely should. I struggle with it a lot and I should, um, mm -hmm. I should be more mindful of it. I agree. And the reason why I recommend an hour, well, it could be up to an hour. You can work your way up to an hour, but yeah, uh, when I'm reading a book, like in my hands, like, uh, I don't oftentimes read a physical book. Most of the time it's audible, but if I'm reading the book, I also cannot be listening to music. Otherwise I don't retain the information mm. as well. So if we are reading books, get, just give yourself yeah. the opportunity to read the book without music on it at the same time. Yeah. I usually do have music on. I mean, it's quiet, but yeah, it's all the stimulus everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if, it's, if music is, self, is soothing for you during this time, please, by all means, go for, go for as much music as you'd like. Uh, but see and challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to see yeah. what comes out of uh, digesting the material in the book without music on for a little bit. Okay. I'll do that. That's my homework. I, I downloaded a meditation app, but I used it once. <laughs> so don't beat yourself up about that because, uh, the productivity measure measurables right now, they fucking went out the window. Yeah. Well, I love to how, I love how this, the things have changed with when this all started, like, this is your time to do this and be productive. And now everybody's saying the opposite. Like we're putting way too much pressure on ourselves and mm -hmm. we're mentally going through a lot. And 
you know, this isn't just like a normal healthy thing where we have a week's uh, week off work to be productive. This is a national traumatic epidemic and the mental stress, you know, will prevent you from being pr productive. So it's, it's kind of funny how that, that mm -hmm. flip switched real fast <laughs> and pretty dramatically, mm -hmm. but I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm glad that it did come out because you know, we have enough emotional stress and people are losing, you know, people and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us are working, you know, more than we did before too. So I kind of have anxiety, like everybody else is learning all these new skills and they're, you know, watching all these new shows that I'm, I'm, I'm behind and I, you know, I got to work for nine, 10 hours a day and, you know, I'm on call a couple nights a week and it's, it's stressing me out and I'm, I'm just still living about my, my normal routine. So Mm -hmm. it's it's nice that we're that we're able to be giving ourselves a little bit of a break mm -hmm. the the challenges that you saw come out the productivity measurables that came out the first week or two after we began to shelter in place that was the denial stage of grief and ah, yeah. that was like the prime example of what uh, clued me into actually looking into it for myself personally and right. now wanting to share that with other people because we're facing that traumatic experience that you were just talking about collectively and we're all in denial at the same time like from day one and that that moment of like oh i can still be productive i can still be on the hamster wheel i can still go 150 miles an hour every single day like i have been i can still do that that's denial yeah no and, that's true that's it. you're absolutely right and then people started to get angry about the challenges that's the stage two yeah or the the protesters that are now you know angry about whatever they're angry about but mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting i i want to i kind of want to dissect that the, the grief mm -hmm. stages yeah so where are we at now no it's it's now it's individual um so if um if we all started on the same day which is typical here in, okay let's just take denver Denver all started on the same day, shelter in place. So we all started at stage one of grief at the same time. Right. Maybe right. some people, maybe some people were a few days ahead of that because their jobs were just like, I restaurants, for example, they yes. might have started at a different time, but the grieving process for everybody collectively started essentially at the same time. But where the individual is going from there, that's the time frame that they go through it at their own pace. Right. And when we talk about the correlation between a relationship ending and the correlation between a life, a lifestyle changing, which is what we're grieving, our way of life is completely different. And we're all grieving that. Yeah. So you can waver too. You can go up and down through the stages. Like I went straight to acceptance and I'm like, okay, well, I can't be productive with clients in person. So I'm going to actually accept that fact very, very quickly and start creating workout programs that people can uh, get through this time period by maintaining physical exercise. That's my contribution. And that's what happens in the acceptance phase. But then I go a month into shelter in place and I'm like starting to feel loneliness and the solitude yeah. and I slide back down to depression. Yeah. Well, that's when I start to see my diet change. My nutrition got shitty and I was drinking more wine. Yeah. Now I need yeah, to get back to those Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think one day too, it's like, no, you know, this is okay. We're going to be okay. And then the next day you're just like, I need, I, I need social interaction. I need my life back. And yeah. So it's, it, I think it's sometimes even like a, a daily thing. Mm-hmm. The weekends are what hit me hard too, because like I said, my week is so normal ish. Um, the, then the weekends come and it's just like, I worked hard all week. All I want to do is go out to dinner and have some drinks with friends, meet friends with, for happy hour, you know, and, and it's like, you just feel so stuck. So. Well, lean into it and you're allowed to feel those emotions. You're actually encouraged to do so. Mm-hmm. Don't hide it. Don't hide from it. And just keep doing what you're doing because I, I love hearing that you and Shelby are handling this so, uh, so much support for each other. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have, have somebody to lean on. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, she's like a sister to me. So, and we, it's, uh, we always joke, like when she's falling apart, I stay strong. And then when I'm falling apart, she's strong. And we just say, as long as we don't fall apart at the same time, we're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Cause you went through your breakup right before she did. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny too. We are so different that we handle it differently. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we we are on this on this good pattern of we're able to to be there for each other and we just haven't we haven't really fallen apart or broke down at the same time which is just good mm-hmm. and when that day comes we'll probably have some good content for the podcast to talk about <laughs> can only can only imagine that mm-hmm. which happens a lot also and then the betrayal comes in and it's really hard for us to trust somebody after that betrayal. You said the push and the pull and you're familiar with attachment styles, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, that resonates with me a lot as the, as the challenger is like, okay, well, if I start to pull back, that's a little bit of my avoidant attachment style. However, mm-hmm. it's also part of the Enneagram eight to to have my inner circle. And once I start to see your true colors, then I pull away and you're no longer part of that inner circle. But we do gravitate, like right. even the avoidant attachment style will gravitate to an anxious attachment style. So if we're, you and I are pulling back away from this relationship and the anxious attachment style is coming closer to us, like yeah. children, that's even worse for yeah. the eight because we're like, no, 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 no possessiveness, no controlling, no manipulation, nothing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. A, I feel like we're just suckers. We're just we just want to love people and and help people and fix them. And yeah, definitely. That yeah, it's interesting when you look at the attachment styles too. Uh, what's up next for the Mile High Mess podcast? Um, you know, we're recording tomorrow. It's been pretty difficult. I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's been difficult to be creative for us in these times. I mean, you said you were really diving into your creativity, which is great, but it's been tough for us because a lot of our content is based on our um, experiences for the week and our experiences have been pretty boring, (laughs) mundane, if you will, uh, just over these weeks. So, um, I mean, what's next? Hopefully a great episode something messy yeah. i mean we definitely always have good good stories and funny things that happen during the week which i have a great one this week that i won't give away but 
um, yeah, we're just going to keep doing it. Um, you know, it makes us happy. It's a great creative outlet and it's been a lot of fun. We're getting more listeners. It seems like every single week and I've actually made good friends with one of our listeners, which is pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's been fun to see how it's just, um, enhancing our lives and hopefully others too. That's great. It's so relatable and I've enjoyed every time I've tuned in a lot. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate that. Likewise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's how we can, um, uh, achieve our lives goals of like impacting other people's lives, which it sounds like that's a, a big part of the mile high mess podcast. Oh, it is. Yep. It's so relatable. It's every time you tell a poop joke or a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got plenty of those. No, and you have plenty of those Shelby. Not so that's much. Good. On the poop. That's a good point. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> what do you want to send us off with today? Mile high mess girls. Um, well, if you turn tuned in live, thank, thank you. Um, and if you're interested in listening to our podcast, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all the things really. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mile High Mess Podcast. Thank you so awesome. much for having us. Well, I appreciate you guys both so much. And I appreciate everybody who tuned in and checked out the Facebook Live. We're going to be doing a lot more of these because they're so much fun while we're sheltered in place and stay safe out there guys and still practice that social distancing so that we don't get a second wave of uh, 